space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life, a new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, and welcome back to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim, and with me, of course, is Admiral Elliot. Hi there. And we're going to be looking at yet another Temporal Cold War episode of Enterprise, followed by the latest episode of Lower Decks. But before we do that, speaking of the Temporal Cold War, weirdly enough, um, I actually went back to the cinema this week for the first time since um, lockdown started and saw the new Christopher Nolan film, Tenet. And funnily enough, they mention a Temporal Cold War in that. Is there anything like the Enterprise one? Uh, no, it's quite good fun and there's loads of action and um, <laughs> a, a few people have said it's really confusing, but I thought it made sense. So, right. Um, so no, it's nothing like the the Enterprise what the one. Cin- what's it like going to the cinema at the moment in lockdown? It's weird. But yeah, didn't expect it to be about the Temporal Cold War, but you never know. <laughs> Christopher Nolan might be a, a Star Trek fan for all we know and... It might have been just showing showing Enterprise how it's done, but yeah. So if you you're into your temporal cold wars, check check that one out. But if you're not comfortable going to the cinema, wait for it on video on demand or DVD, Blu-ray. Or listen to our series where we discuss the temporal exactly cold the war. the real temporal cold war. You know, forget about these hundred million dollar blockbusters. It's the proper temporal cold wars still raging on in Enterprise. So. This is the episode Future Tens, uh, middle of season two. Not as many Temple yeah, Cold War uh, episodes. Episode season 16, two. Is it? Yeah. So we had the opening episode, and then we've had a break of fifteen episodes before we go back to it again. And yeah, I'm not gonna start with the negativity straight away, but this is another one where you don't find out anything else. A we lot, do. Do we? Yes. We found out that there's a third faction. Oh, right, sorry. Yeah. But we don't know anything about them. We don't find out anything about them or who it is. We just find out there is a third faction. Right, okay, sorry, I missed that. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> So we find out there's a third faction, but nothing much happens again, really. There's lots of action, there's lots going on, but we're not any further forward in the Temporal Cold War storyline, really. But that seems to be part well, for the cast, uh, doesn't it? Well... I think you could argue that we're further on in the temporal cold war with this episode because previously we knew there was Daniels, which stands for the Federation. Yeah, we think. It yeah. was it was on Enterprise's side. So we've got to say he's a good guy. Yep. I think we've got that established. He's a good guy and he's for the Federation. We've got the Suliburn, who are working for Mysterious Sky. Yeah. That I, I've got a feeling that we never find out who Mysterious I Sky is. I don't think we do, no. So we've got Mysterious Sky for the Suliburn. And that's all we knew. And this episode, we now find, now, find, now find out that the Folians are working for a third faction. Yep. Which is another mysterious one, because we don't even see them get told what to do. No, no, maybe, I mean, the third faction might be giving them extra special powers as well. You never know. Possibly. Um. So, yeah, we've got three but, factions. Oh, we do find out something else in this episode. Uh, Daniels has given Archer special powers. Go on. And we'll get to that very soon. Okay, we'll get to that. So, yeah, it starts off then, they find what looks like an escape pod, and they bring it on board. They bring it on board, they say, bring it into Docking Bay 2, but the markings on the floor say 3 and 4. Bit weird. Uh, 
it's for where the shuttle pods are meant to be instead oh, right. of four shuttle pods. So one and two are in docking. One and two are in docking bay one. Okay. And three and four are meant to be in docking bay two. Right. But it never got its third and fourth shuttle pod. Right. Okay. I'll let that one go then. And yeah, it's fused shut. So Reed takes the phaser to it. Uh, not a phaser. This is Enterprise. Sorry. So it's a phase pistol. A phase pistol. I'm just. And, it, and it's very important. This the phase pistol only has two settings. Stun or kill. So presumably he's using stun? Well, okay, if we go with stun, it's previously been established that the sun setting of the phase pistol mm-hmm. is operating at at least 398 degrees Fahrenheit. Right. This this is established in Enterprise, by the way. It, I can't remember the name of the episode where the heat of liquid under the 98 degrees Fahrenheit. Right. Which is 203 degrees centigrade, so pretty hot. Right. And Archer, using his special magic power Daniel giving him, can grab the hat straight away after him. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so there you go. Yeah, he's got really... He has heat-resistant hands. Yeah, you know, you were a chef for years, so you, you've built up a bit of that tolerance. Yeah, but so... not, not to that level. No, maybe not, but that's, yeah. That's putting your hand in a deep-fat fryer level. <laughs> smoking. So Archer would be quite good at, like, getting a Yorkshire pudding tray out of oven He'd have no stuff. problem... Oven cloths, what the hell are they? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we, so he's got a secret power we didn't know. And the, they find this body and they say it's human. It doesn't look very human, but we find out, you know, all sorts about it as we go on. And Archer has this thing where he's like, could this be Zephyrin Cochrane? And it's a weird one because what? in one way, it's really good continuity because... In TOS, in Metamorphosis, we find Zephyr and Cochrane out on a planet and we find out that he disappeared and everything. Yeah. So it makes perfect sense that at this point in the timeline, they might think, oh, it could be Zephyr and Cochrane. The problem is that as viewers, we know it's not. So is there really any point spending yeah, time yeah, with yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, because I think it's a good nod is this. To continuity, and I think it is important that they saw this because they found a human out in the unknown craft, and they're the only human vessel that's got out this far. Yeah. So it does make sense that the only other human is Cochrane, who was testing supposedly a more advanced warp prototype ship that he'd invented. Yeah. And he went missing. Yeah. So, yeah, I, it does make sense to me. Yeah, I get. I get why they would think it, but I just mean on. You know, from the viewer's perspective, it's it doesn't really create any drama because we're like, oh well, it's it's not going to be. So. Yeah, well, from the viewer's point of view, we know it isn't. And let's be fair here: the episode didn't dwell on it being Cockroach for a long no, time. No, no, it didn't. You're right. It it just sort of mentioned it, and I thought that was I thought it was a nice nod to continuity there. Yeah, I mean, they do pick on pick up on it a couple of times because they say like, oh, we're trying to contact his family for the his DNA profile and blah blah blah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It's not. It's not. A, they don't spend an inordinate time on it. Yeah. And yeah, there's all this. It's quite a good mystery, really, because it's it's too far out to be any mission that they know about, and it it does build up a sense of all right. Well, how's he got out there? Who is it? And even though you know we know it's not Cochrane, as viewers we're still like, well, who is it? You know, we yeah. We haven't got a clue. Then they, they go in the ship and they say several times it's bigger on the inside. Now, I wish that we had Dr. Squee with us. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm sure 
that I've seen something on TV before where there's a t some sort of time vessel that moves through space that's bigger on the inside it than does, it is on the outside. It does ring a bell, doesn't it? I mean, it does. Yeah. So this, I think, there is no way that the writers were not aware of Doctor Who when they wrote this. <laughs> So why not just acknowledge it? Why not have one of the characters say, oh, it's a bit like that old TV show. And even, you know, even do a joke about it. Like, you know, yeah. as if they don't know what it's called or something. So say, I, you know. I think what annoys me here is that <clears throat> it's why have they gone down this road? Because there's yeah. been nothing previously to, because you're talking about temporal geography here or or something. Yeah. It's really weird when you have it bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. And it's somewhat totally different than than just moving through time. It's somewhat completely yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. And, and why have the... It, it is blatant rip-off. And it's never come up before in any Star Trek time travel. Any There's nothing in Star Trek no. previously that has a ship that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. No, and, it's true. And I don't think it's ever uh, addressed again. This, no, I, I think it's a one-time thing. Yeah, I certainly I, don't like, remember it. It wouldn't surprise me if... Like, was this... This would be out before uh, Doctor Who. Yeah, it will have been just before the... A couple of years before the reboot. Yeah. yeah. But it makes you wonder if they had uh, some letters came across desks at CBS from BBC <laughs> uh, that they were on very dangerous uh, copyright ground here. Yeah. I mean, that's probably why they don't make a reference to it you know because it's because of the copyright but i, I wouldn't mind just oh wasn't there an old sci-fi show well, with it no no just... what i mean is i mean i mean i wonder if it's never brought up again oh, this, uh, yeah yeah because the other letter came across the desk the desk from bbc yeah. don't think next season you're going to have a big ship that is <laughs> yeah yeah maybe so and so the sullivan turn up and they claim that the ship's theirs and then there's this action sequence where the Sullivan attack Reed and Trip and they they try and take the ship, I think, is what they're trying to do. So they're trying to yeah. open the cargo bay doors. Um but they fail and go away really. The, it doesn't Yeah. Nothing well, nothing comes of it you, really. And then you have the Folians turn up for the same thing. Yeah. It's yeah, it, it's a weird again Which is where which is where I say the Folians are for a third faction. Yeah, it does seem like they are because they're all sort of battling with each other at this yeah. point. And yeah, they, they they find what they believe to be the black box of this. And Phlox does a bit more digging and it's human, but it's not a normal human. And it, it's got a bit of Vulcan DNA. And at this point, I was thinking, well, maybe it's a human, but the future guy's genetically augmented it like he has done with the Sullivan. And I thought that was maybe the road that they were going down. Like, yeah. this is somebody that's been enhanced. Yeah, at first that's what I thought. But as it moved on, I think it's just that... Uh, I think what they're trying to show is that with the Federation and all these species getting together, that you have a lot of... Yeah, the, yeah, there's a lot of... It's interspecies, like... Interspecies breeding. Yeah, it's like if you do... People do DNA tests now, don't they? And it reveals all these things of, you know, you've got X amount from Nordic countries and you've got X yeah. amount from Africa and X amount from Australasia. And, and Archer decides, right, we're going to go into Daniels' quarters to check his database. 
And they have a little bit of a conversation of, oh, well, we're not supposed to, but I'm sure Daniels won't mind. And we did this a few episodes ago, didn't we, when they were looking at the the schematics for the, the Klingon sh- yeah. And they were looking for the Sullivan schematics, but they were like, oh, there's a Klingon one in there. No, no, we can't look at that. Whereas now they're going, oh, well, we can have a look and try and find this one. I think they've kind of thrown caution to the wind now. Like, you might as well have a good look through that database if you're just going to dip into it whenever you when, want to. Whenever you, yeah, it's sort of like, well, what's... If Daniels wants to, don't want them to look at it, don't leave it on the on their bloody ship. That's true. And also, <laughs> Daniels' quarters is just locked down. Like, they haven't got a lot of living space on Enterprise. Yeah. So, you know, just get it all turfed out. Get it put in storage thing. And let's get let's get people... There's probably people sleeping in the corridors like they do in <laughs> Lower Decks because of this room. And, yeah, the Tholians, as you say, come in and... They're after it as well. They find Rigelian DNA in it. And there's there's quite a nice scene where uh, Flox and T'Pol have a bit of a chat about her her time travel or her lack of belief in time travel. And I think that that's quite a nice scene, showing the kind of different approaches that the two alien characters take. Yeah. And then a good, well, I say good, a good line from Reed where him and Trip are talking about, well, want to see the future. Uh, would you want to know who you're going to marry? And Reed says, oh, yes, it'd stop me from having lots of awkward first dates. I don't think Reed goes on many first dates. No. Well, we saw how, uh, we saw his uh, sort of uh, dating technique and look where it got him last time. Exactly. So I, I don't think he has all these awkward first dates that he's on about. Yeah, he gets kidnapped occasionally by a couple of blokes. <laughs> yeah. And I think he, what, what he really means is like, Oh, I'd, I'd like to see proof that somebody's actually a shag mutual. That'd be nice. <laughs> and then they appear to get caught in like a little time loop thing. We find out it's like temporal radiation coming ship. Yeah. And that's, it's very, very like um, Red Dwarf Future Echoes or White well, Hole we even. Get, we did see this in, uh, oh, it's in one of the earlier episodes. We'll always have Paris. Yeah. Yeah, we'll always have Paris. And they had, a, they had a bit of it going on there as well. So, yeah, same sort of thing. And then Archer, almost like he's realising that this temporal Cold War business isn't really going anywhere, he says, no, we're going to be more proactive with it now and we've always been on the back foot, but now we're going to... Whoa. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but they, they're going to a Vulcan ship and they get attacked by the Sullivan, and when they get there, the Tholians have already attacked the Vulcans. But, well, it's quite important. It's like, they're heading towards the Vulcan ship, and they're at warp while they're firing, while they're being fired on. You can tell they're at warp by the view screen with the stars streaking yeah. past. And they go, 600 fa- we've got 600,000 kilometres to go. Light travel at 186,000 miles per second, so... About one and a half times, so 270,000 kilometres, right. roughly, per second. And this chase goes on for ages. It should have taken them two seconds at warp one, yeah. let alone maximum warp. <laughs> You'd yeah. blink, you, well, you wouldn't even blink and be past 600,000 <laughs> kilometres. Or maybe maybe they overshot it. That's why it took longer by the time he finished giving the report. They keep going backwards. Past it, yeah, it's what Archer says, how far? And it's, oh, well, we're, oh, we've gone past, uh, uh, 600, yeah. And yeah, it makes, yeah. now if it said 600, 600 million kilometres. Yeah, it might have been a different story. Yeah, but 600,000, it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> 
So they get there anyway, and you, this is a pretty cool space battle. Like, it, you've got sort of three, four different types. You know, you've got Enterprise, you've got the Vulcan ship, you've got Tholians, you've got um, Sullivan, and two different types of Sullivan ships. So you've got loads of different stuff going on, and it's... It shows, because Enterprise uses CGI, you can have these battle scenes where things are flying about and there's a lot more motion to it yeah. than we used to get in the the TNG and early DS9 days. And even Voyager. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed the battle. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. It, like That's one of the things I did like with Enterprise. Because I, I think the CGI still stands up really well. Yeah, I think it does. Uh, like... It was fairly early days of CGI, but the ha- there obviously was a lot of money spent on this series. Yeah, because the CGI does stand up, especially the TV CGI as well. Like yeah, you know, if but, you... like they make the CGI later later on when they go against the Indy and the Enterprise starts getting shot up. And yeah, broken. yeah. Because TNG, DS9, Voyager, we'd maybe see the ship damaged and all that. And then with no explanation, the ship would be perfect for the next start of the next episode. Yeah, true. Where with Enterprise, because it was CGI, they could carry that damage over to the next episode. Yeah, which is a so, lot better. And like which, you said, and it makes a lot more sense. Particularly <laughs> in season three, it does start to look really beat up later on. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, if I think one of the holds up is because they sort of went for the like lived in look to it, like you know everything's not shiny. Like if you go back and look at the Phantom Menace, everything were really shiny. All the ships were shiny, yeah. and, and it just looks cartoony. Uh, I mean that that well, I mean, was the Star Wars prequels, but that film, the Phantom Menace, by between the time it came out in the cinema and the time it came out on video, the effects are dated. Yeah, they had the, it, the Phantom Menace probably suffers more than any other movie for effects dating so fast. Yeah, it was Plus, just like I remember seeing it at the scene that it looked really good and state yeah. of the art, and it was. But because it was so early on in CGI, effects moved a lot. So yeah. fast. And that was it. By, by the time it came out on video, you were like, whoa, this doesn't look how I remember it looking. Yeah. But anyway. But yeah, these effects, they, they do hold up. They do still look good. And I do think it's because they've gone for like a realistic sort of metal look for the Enterprise. And yeah, there's not that sheen on it that just makes it look kind of plasticky. Um, so the battle resolves. Basically, everything gets beamed away. The, the body gets beamed away, the ship gets beamed away, all the bits they've took off it get beamed away. And oh, before that, Archer and Trip are going to... The plan is we're going to put this warhead on and yeah, detonate and let it. The, let the foliants have it and we'll blow it up. But that doesn't work. And so, yeah, effectively, we end up with nothing to show for it. And they say, oh, well, it, it's probably been sent back to the future, back where it came from. And... I think is it Trip says like oh well it was good timing you know that they how did they manage to do it so fast and Archer says well you know that we activated the beaker but they had ages to to react to yeah. it so my question is well if they had ages to react to it why didn't they just pick it up before any of this happened yeah I was thinking and that it's sort of then they don't have to worry about the Tholians or the Federation or the Vulcans or the Suliban and could have just beamed in beamed it up i mean i know the answer is because the episode have happened but it the problem is when you make a point like that 
and you take a moment in your script to say, oh, yeah, look, it's clever because... It... Well, I think it's that they just activated the beacon, so they've beamed it from where the beacon right, activated. Right, so it's, it's more to do with where it is rather than when, when it is. Yeah, and when it is, the beacon's activated then, and they've got it straight away when the beacon's activated. Right, I've got you. If that makes sense then, yeah, if they couldn't work out yeah. where it was before then. Yeah, that, good. I'll let that one off then. Yeah, I think we can let that one go. Yeah. And then we finish with there's Topol's gonna make a, a report to the Vulcan, and there's a little joke about them not believing in time travel, but also not believing in interspecies relationships. Which obviously the the dramatic irony there is we know that Spock's coming in a hundred years, so yeah, yeah, it's it's fine. It's it's a nice little little nod, and it's. Topol's still doing a, a scully thing of saying, no, no, I don't believe in time travel. No such thing. I think she's coming round. Though. Yeah, it's sort of like, like she, she enters Daniel's quarters with Arch to look at the type, like his database. Yeah, so, so yeah, she, she must have to be doing incredible sort of mental gymnastics in her head to yeah. justify how this isn't time travel at this stage. You know, it's the, it's the yeah, only and, thing that like, makes sense. And like, like, we've also got, like, the magic ship that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Yeah, it's... Yeah. I think maybe at this point, she is... She is believing it's time travel. I'm not going to admit that in front of our chat. Because it just doesn't seem viable that she wouldn't. Yeah, anyway. Really, she'd have to be a bit fit not to, I think, at this You would point. think so. So that's the latest instalment of the Temporal Cold War. I think next week we're on to the, the season finale of season two, aren't we? The the Expanse. Yeah. Which, which starts the the Zindiac as well as touching yeah. on the Temporal Cold War. So we're changing gears a little bit next week. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, like this episode eight out of 13. Yeah. So like we're well past the halfway. We've only got five more episodes to look at. And we've already looked at one of these, so we won't be covering it again. That's true. So we've only got four more episodes. Yeah, there's a lot of answers and we'll need. And all we've learned now is that there's not two factions, there's three factions involved. We we didn't have, we didn't learn anything about what the Temporal Cold War is about yet no. again. No, exactly. Well, as I say, for that you need to go see Tenet at the cinema <laughs> and that gives you a that gives you a bit more of an explanation. But yeah, we'll we'll see how we go once the Zindi get brought into the equation. But um, more, more uh, interested parties. Exactly, in even more or... factions. <laughs> and the, all these factions, again, it raises the question of, like, this Cold War isn't that cold or that secret because everybody seems to know about it. Yeah, apart from the Vulcans. Yeah, apart from the Vulcans and seemingly the Federation. Like we, can you know. we can understand why humans start because we've only just got out into interstellar space. Yeah. So we can understand why we do. We're not players yet. No, exactly. But, but yeah. the Vulcans have been major players in the galaxy for a long time yet. Yeah. No factions approached them to help. They probably just can't be bothered with them, you know. Yeah, the... um, we've got Richard Klingons know about it yeah, because and... they've attacked in Broken Bow. And... We don't know about the Romulans because all that's... Like, I think they missed a massive opportunity with Enterprise. Yeah, I mean, it was rumoured that were going to be season five. But yeah. um, I'm sure I heard one rumour at one point that... A uh, future guy was gonna turn out to be a Romulan, possibly, but right. th 
But then I've also heard it were going to turn out to be a future version of Archer, so I don't think we'll ever know. But, um, yeah, so that's it for the Temple Cold War for this week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, again, it's it's an enjoyable episode on its own. Yeah. Right, is this episode. But uh, learning anything extra about the Temple Cold War, no, it didn't. <laughs> no, it's, as we've said before, it's just, it. it's not that interesting. It's not a good enough mystery to keep stringing people along like this. No. And I imagine, like, I, I I did watch most of them first time round, but I, I missed a few. Um, but, yeah, I, I never, I don't I, ever remember I being excited. I don't think this you along when it was coming out that you must watch this episode. It's the next instalment of the Temple yeah, that's Cold what, War. That's what I mean. I think I'd have probably thought, oh, no, not another Temple Cold War. Skip that one and get back to business next week, but... Anyway, we, we will see what happens when the Zindi come in play. Uh, we're going to move on now then and talk about Lower Decks. If you've not seen the end of, uh, the latest episode of Lower Decks, we're going to give you a red alert klaxon and you can join us again once you have caught up with it. Yeah, so episode four now of Lower Decks. Yeah. And this has the... Rather nice title of Moist Vessel. Yeah. <laughs> which isn't the most appealing title ever. Uh, but I think we'll leave that there. We'll let people fill in the blanks as to what imagery that might uh, might conjure up. Now, I thought with this one, I think it's possibly the least funny episode, but possibly the best episode in terms of character development and story in this one. Yeah, I'd go with that. I, I, do, I think it's least funny. But I've said before, I don't need this series to be laugh out loud funny. No, neither do I. But this was this was so, so, so a Star Trek episode. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the central storyline, I mean, it starts with we're relocating an ancient generational ship. So straight away, that's very, that's, you know, in, <laughs> yeah, that's your we've Star seen this Trek wheelhouse. And on top of that, they've got this compound that creates life from inorganic matter. So it's basically the Genesis device in liquid form. Yeah, which the moist vessel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's your your main stuff going on. So yeah, the central premise is absolute Star Trek, 100%. Um, the opening teaser I wasn't overly fond of. This is the having a briefing and Mariner starts yawning. And, uh, you know, I know people's mileage will vary on this and humour's very, very subjective. But I just thought that was making her a little bit too obnoxious. You know, yeah. like she's going, oh, well, I couldn't help yawning. It was boring. But it it's a bit too much. You know, she's yeah, being... Yeah, it's going to... Yeah, sort of like, okay, she's rebellious. Yeah. But she's obviously very, still a very good ensign. Yeah, she is. And, and she, you know, everything we've seen, she's a good, decent person. We've seen that in how she tries to help out Boimler. Yeah. Whereas yawning in the middle of the briefing is just rude. And the, there isn't really an excuse for it. And so that just kind of put me on the back foot a little bit with the episode. So I'm like, I want to like this character. Um, but I think that's just maybe a step too far yeah. in the other direction. And... I suppose maybe it's only justified if 
her agenda is to get kicked off the ship. If that's what she's trying to do, then yeah, fair enough. But it, it just, as I say, it goes a little bit too far for me. Um, but then you get quite a good scene after it where the captain's obviously chewing her out for it. And she's talking about, you know, you you should have shown respect to the other crew. Yeah. And, you know, and she's right. <laughs> and Yeah. And that yeah, it's a perfectly reasonable statement comes out with it. Yeah. Like, it's one thing to be trying to rub me up because I'm your mum. Yeah. But it's another thing when you're doing it to other captains, other people in Starfleet. Yeah, exactly. And I, yeah, I do think she's gone a bit far with it there. I know it's only a minor thing, but it, it makes the character a little bit harder to, to like, which I think yeah. can be a problem. And it's quite good though when she does the vul- the sarcastic Vulcan salute. Yeah. <laughs> and you know that's funny. And they have this idea, right? We're going to give her all the crap jobs essentially, which it makes you wonder why they've not thought of that before. I mean, that'd be one of the first things to do if yeah. somebody's getting and, on you. And it's sort of like if they've just given her the crap jobs now to get back at her, who've they been getting at previously? With <laughs> yeah, the crap who's jobs? been given them? I suppose someone's got to do. And. There's a quite a good bit with Rutherford. I mean, he doesn't get much of a story this episode, but he gets the, I've got to monitor these type of power fluctuations, but I'm disappointed, so I wanted to mor- monitor this these other. fluctuations. <laughs> but then when he does get to do it, he's like, oh, these are actually great, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I enjoyed that. And then the the other plot of the episode really is Tandy, isn't it, with this, I'm off to watch an Ascension. Yeah, uh- this is another big Star Trek thing, isn't it? Where yeah, yeah. We've seen a few beings that have ascended. We've and seen beings that are ascended. Yeah, and they, they sort of fire out mentioning a couple of them, don't they? say so like, oh, is it the Traveller? Oh, is it this? Yeah. So, yeah, again, it's a very Star Trek-y thing. But obviously, there's a, a spin on it. And I think the first bit with Tandy, where she goes in and she messes up the sand and everything, I think that's... Sort of in the same vein as what happens with Mariner with the yawning. It's like, it's a little bit too far. Like, it's... I know it's technically an accident, but for me, she was a little bit too much in that scene. Like, it is, again, really disrespectful what you've just done. And Yeah. She you, may- haven't just, you haven't just gone in and sort of sat down and see what's going on. You, there's obviously something going on. And you've gone off on your own separate agenda. Yeah, and she, and, you know, which she, has caused this accident. Yeah, she's ruined this thing that I know it turns out to be a different story, and that kind of you know nullifies it a little bit. But it just again, it just seemed a yeah, little bit fact, too much. The fact remains, when she enters the room for the first time, they're sat round, and it's obviously some sort of prayer circle, and she's been sent to observe it. Yeah. So. Surely she should have sat down and then she can find out what's going on. Yeah, exactly. And instead, they mention something and she goes, oh, you've got this, and runs over and starts... She starts sort of prattling about with this gong and knocks it all over and then she's got the... She tries to get the sand from the replicator. I don't know, maybe if it had been more of an accident, then it would be a bit more understandable or... Even... It's almost a forced accident, isn't it? Yes, yeah, that's it, exactly. It's There's too much agency in what she does to make it, for you to be able to just dismiss it as, oh, it was, you know, it, it, an accident, you know, that it couldn't have been prevented. Cause it, it, and again, that 
makes the character a bit harder to like. Um, but I do like how this storyline turns out. I just it's, Those two little bits, uh, for me, were the, the negative points in the episode. Yeah, the sort of force. Yeah. Uh, they're going too far with what they're trying to establish with the characters. Yeah. They don't think, and like, let's be fair here, this is episode four of ten episodes. So, what, we've a good third of the way through the series. Yeah, yeah. We shouldn't have to be forcing our agenda now or the, how the characters are. No, we should be getting to know them, getting to see what they're like, if they're yeah. And this really is the first sort of extended period of time we've got with Tanda. Um, there's some great stuff, though, going on throughout. Like, I, I love the bit where uh, they've got the out-of-order sign on the turbo lift and the security guy just sort of pushes it aside. I think, because that's something you never see is out-of-order signs and everything. But Yeah, but, like, Milner's been sent to repair it as one of a job. So you would put an out-of-order sign if yeah, you're on top absolutely. of the turbo lift. And it is. It's one of them nice little details that we've never seen before, but it's one of them things that absolutely would happen. Yeah. So I like stuff like that, and I like that she finds a way of making the scraping the carbon more fun. Yeah, you know, makes it into this challenge. Thing, yeah, that? That, she's been given the worst jobs on the ship, yeah? Yeah. And there's two others still scraping this cabin, <coughs> so I want to know what them two have done. Yeah, m- maybe there's someone else in there, Ransom's children or something, yeah. and they get on his nerves, I don't know. Um, um, well, she has to clean the holode- holodeck waste uh, disposal. Yeah, and there's that. Filters, and, like, the captains, what, they really use it for that? And it's like, it's obvious, isn't it? And everyone's keeps skirting around this, but you've got a holodeck. You can do anything you want. People are off to use it for sex. Of course, yeah. And as we said, like, Quark very clearly rented out the hollow suites for that. But yeah, but yeah it's a, maybe assumed that Starfleet officers wouldn't do that on the ship, but absolutely. Well, actually, I think if you look at the evidence of Starfleet officers, mm, true. that we're sure, how awkward them are at dating. Yeah. I... I think there's going to be lots of this getting used for sex. Maybe so. I mean, in the uh, New Frontier books by Peter David, he has a bit where the characters have... uh, There's like a meeting between various captains and admirals and whatnot. And they hold the meeting on the holodeck so that on your holodeck it's got everyone else and you can interact with them. And so everybody's having this shared... But then when all the admirals and everything go... Captain Calhoun and his wife stay on the holodeck and, you know, have a bit of the other. And you're like, yeah, that is probably what they would do. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and Janeway, we know, had the the Irish guy that she... Yeah, she had a bar, a bar, uh, barman. Yeah, so we know what she was up to there. So, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, Mariner's got to clean it. And then... Yeah, you get this bit where they decide, right, the way to actually wear her down is to promote her. <laughs> and that I think that's great. That's a great storyline because it's exactly the right thing to wind her up, give her yeah. more responsibility and keep her so she's got to attend all these things. And you get sort of a great montage where it's right. Uh, Ransom's going to play all his songs about Barcelona and, and it ends up with a, a poker game. Oh, like, there's so many throwbacks, like, like just the start of the meeting, it's like, what chairs should we get? Yes. And, and them sort of meetings do happen. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, you know, anyone who's in an office anywhere, but, yeah, you have meetings about having, you know. Yeah. 
And this is, obviously, we don't see it in the other Star Trek shows because we just see the, the exciting... Uh, but yeah, they will have meetings about the chairs and you know what fluctuation they should try on the warp drive and all this business. So it is, it's it's the mundanity of it. Yeah, and, and, the, you, and you will come to the officer's sort of cabaret. Effectively, yeah. This <laughs> Are we going to call it the officer's cabaret? Yeah. And this is another thing, because we used to see, like, Data would do a play, Riker would play something. Yeah. Uh, somebody would have this a string quartet, and it was, it was all like the chief officers were around these things. Yeah, it was. And it, yeah, as a junior officer, it must have been awful. Like, you know, being told, right, you've got to go to Commander Riker's trombone playing. What? So, yeah, this is absolutely sort of leaning into all of that. Yeah. And the and, poker and it, games. It's, it's, a nod, it's a nod to it all, but it's also a piss take of it all. Yeah, yeah. Because it must be absolutely awful if you had to go. Well, it is awful. Like... I think we've probably all had where we've had to go on work events that we don't want oh, to go yes, on. Oh, yes, absolutely. And it, like, and I, yeah, it is. It, I think you could justifiably say everyone's probably had some form of work event that it's compulsory to go on or you have to go on because you're whatever. Yeah. And you don't want to be there. No, and it's torture. <laughs> but, yeah. And every the thing with those sort of events is nobody's actually enjoying them, but everybody has to pretend they are, which is just awful. Um, uh, going back to the poker game then, I like how it's just the opposite of the next generation. Like, the next generation, it was always, Riker was always bluffing. You know, Data was always working out the odds and everything like that. And it was played really competitively, whereas everybody here is just playing it safe. You know, it's, yeah. there's, there's nobody bluffing, there's nobody trying anything. It's just Everyone full, just full, full. Yeah. <laughs> And Mariners, no, I'm going all in. No, we don't go all in. So, yeah, I thought it's taking the bit that was meant to be the, the fun activity they do in TNG and showing, no, even that's dull on this ship. You yeah. Know? And, yeah, we get the various sort of plot strands getting moved on, but then the main sort of plot kicks in when you get this Captain Durango, and he looks like a pack led. No, he's a... Um, no. Or a Talarian. Talarian. Sorry, yes, I got the two mixed up, yeah. And they basically unleash this Genesis and this is spreading throughout the ships. And yeah, it basically ends up with Mariner and the captain and the captain gets to see how capable she is. And there's, there's all this back and forth of, you know, hey, you need to use a different rock and go more slowly yeah. down there. And at one point she does just say, I'm good at it, trust me. And I think that's a really good myth, the character. And it does show that she is capable yeah, um, I don't think there's any doubt that, or, our point is the audience, I don't think any of us have any doubt that Mariner is actually capable of, of doing a job. Yeah. It's just, just that she's anti-authoritarian. True, yeah. And or she's anti-mother. Actually, yeah. you've got to assume that she's anti-authoritarian, because this is the fifth ship she's been on. Yes, exactly, it's not just a mother. But, um, yeah. So she's obviously done really well at Starfleet Academy to get us an ensign. Obviously, Bright can do all the stuff, but she just doesn't follow authority. Yeah. And though we do find out in this bit that she actually has read the mission brief, she tries to kind of gloss over it, like, oh, no, well, you know, I only read it so I could make fun. And there's quite a nice moment where they hug and everything, but then they're both sort of embarrassed by it. But, yeah, yeah. I like where the, the, they're moving that sort of storyline on and you're seeing a bit more mutual respect growing in them. Yeah. 
and like, we we've missed Boimler all episodes, and it doesn't get a lot. He doesn't do a lot. No, yeah, you have him that it's really pissed off that Mariner for how she carries on has got a promotion. Yeah, yeah. Three things are so that's what the the award bad behaviour. <laughs> so he throws coffee over well, Ransabridge. I'm hoping that that's not just a one off joke, and that we're gonna see that. Um, you know, and do a bit more with that in upcoming episodes because yeah. it, you do get the bit where he, he throws the coffee on him. There's no sort of comeuppance for it or anything. So I feel like that's well, something... Well, I think you're in the middle of, the, of an emergency. So I don't... I think Ransom thinks he's just spilt it. I don't think he's actually realised yeah, that yeah. he's thrown it on him. <laughs> so I, I feel like that's got to maybe come to a head a little bit further down the line. I'd, I'd like to see a bit more of Bad we'll follow Boy. follow up on that. <clears throat> yeah, a bit more of Bad Boimler because that's a funny idea and we only get it very briefly in here. So yeah. I do want to see a little bit more of that. And then the end of the Ascension storyline I really like and... As I say, it does a little bit to make up for how bad Tandy is at the start because the guy yeah. reveals, well, I asked you to do it because I knew you'd mess it. And so it's almost like she was put in that position. But, yeah. but it isn't well, like... Well, she starts explaining she, that she's been so awkward because she, she wants him to like her. Yeah, she just wants people to like her. But I can see this because, like, what we've seen of the Orion women previously is to give off a pheromone and people are attracted to them. But I assume that the all that because of that that the the feet find it really normal for people to like them. Yeah, I've not thought and, of it that way. Yeah, I'm assuming that to be Starfleet and operate in Starfleet properly, she's got to take something to depress in this pheromone. Yeah, because like, um, but she's now missing that where people automatically like her. Yeah, that does make a load of sense. A little bit like um, Ilea in the motion picture, like they, it doesn't really get expanded upon in the fit. I know the concept was that the Deltons were this really highly sexual species and they had to take an oath of celibacy yeah. and all that. So, yeah, I, I think you're onto something there. Yeah, so. Yeah, like, I don't think she's had to take an oath of celibacy. No, but like but you said. Because she gives off a foot. Orion will give off a pheromone. Yeah. It's what we've had established. So I'm assuming that she's got to take some sort of injection or tablet or yeah. some sort of treatment to stop the pheromone. But she's now, she's used to people automatically liking yeah, and her. Yeah, so it's it's odd for her when people don't. Yeah, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, it finishes with him. He does finally ascend. And I love how abstract it is. That, like, the, the universe on the back of a giant koala and... But, well, what it... I like is that as it's happening, it, it happens slowly. And oh, I'm trying to remember the TNG episode where the guy ascends at the end of it and he turns into like this like oh, thing. Oh, transfiguration. That's I it. Think. Yeah. And this looks like that sort of trans- transformation. And it, but it's slowly this sort of, and as he's getting like electrified or whatever it is, he's like, oh, it's burning. Yes. Drop and roll, drop and roll. Yo. You're human. You've suddenly got all this energy flowing yeah. into you. <laughs> yeah, the the officially canonically now the Star Trek universe is balanced on the back of a giant koala. Smiling koala. The, yeah, why is it smiling? So yeah. Now I wonder if some sort of writer is a big fan of Terry Pratchett and just sort of following in that elk. Yeah, it feels very much like that. And um, you know, I, joking aside, I don't. 
I don't think this is the definitive answer to me of the universe within the Star Trek universe. I think this is just what he's seeing at that moment. So, yeah. you know, I'm sure there'll be YouTube videos out there very soon saying they've ruined it by making it all about a giant koala. Uh, but, you know, don't worry. It's fine. The giant koala's not ruined anything. In fact, it was pretty... F and we finish up with another really good scene. See, this makes sense because this is Mariner deliberately trying to wind up the Admiral so that she gets demoted. So, but yet she's, it's still less obnoxious than yawning at the beginning. But it's yeah. this great thing where he says sensors and, you know, because um, Spock used to say that, I'm sure, and Tuvok said it. Um, so maybe it's a, a Vulcan pronunciation. But, yeah. but I love the fact that he's doing it and then the captain starts doing it. Well, um, the, the captain had said censors earlier in the yeah. episode. So, so yeah. we know that's not how the captain normally no, says no, it. No, she, no, she's just sucking up to the Admiral and not wanting to embarrass him by calling him on it. <laughs> and, you know, Mariner obviously does. Uh, I think that's a really funny scene. And then he says, like, are you making foul of me? So he's obviously yeah. got some sort of speech impediment, which I'm sure it's not very politically correct speech impediments, but it, it is a funny scene. It's amusing. And I think we should bring back this, uh, where we don't have to be as correct all the time. I think it's gone too far, political correctness. Well, maybe so. Um, yeah, a guy saying sensors instead of sense. Um, and yeah, obviously she gets demoted again and we get her back in a bunk at the end of the episode. So, yeah. And I... she, give, she gives Boimler a... She's kept her... Oh, yeah. A, a card for the replicator. Because he's got it in his head that officers get better replicator ra rations. Now, which that... doesn't make a lot of sense to me. No, it doesn't. And it, if that's true... Although, that... actually thinking about it, if it could be true. Because look at what the work workers got in Picard on Mars. That's, yeah, that's a fair point. So, yeah, it could well be true. And that, that puts a different spin on a lot of the the relationships between the the, the the lower decks and the upper decks. Though it does answer one of the big questions, which is always, well, why do people try harder in Starfleet if you don't get paid more? And the answer could be because you get better food, which is... Yeah, yeah, you get better food. You maybe get a better replicated prostitute. <laughs> On the holodeck, yeah. And, um, yeah, better quarters and everything, so... Yeah. Yeah, it could. It's, you know, it may not be that the society is driven by money, but if you want food that doesn't taste terrible, that's why why you need to get promoted. So yeah. we could have yeah. solved one of the great mysteries. Yeah, it, it, yeah, like Picard has sort of like has helped establish this because we did see that they had pretty rubbish replicator meals actually in Discovery in on, on Picard on the Mars. Yeah, yeah. Which we didn't think made a lot of sense at the time, but this maybe is maybe filling in that gap. No, exactly. So I, I'm going with that. I'm going. It's all about the food. Yeah. And, and yeah. better hookers on the holiday. <laughs> and that pretty much brings us to the end of that episode. Overall, I, yeah, I liked it again. But as I said, them, them few things we talked about just sort of didn't didn't work for me. Um, yeah. But I feel, I, I, and I think I can agree on the two points. Yeah. I feel like, though, after four episodes, we're, we're getting to that stage now where generally we're liking the characters. We're liking hanging out with the characters. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to Thursday and being able to... Yeah. I'm looking forward to the next episode. I, 
that is now on my calendar for Thursdays. I, I, I watch Lower Decks. Yeah, so that's good. It's doing its job, certainly. So, yeah, it's been fun so far. And, yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes for the rest of the season. But uh, we'll be back next week then. We'll be looking at, as we said, The Expanse, uh, which is the finale of Season 2 of Enterprise. Still on episode, the Temple Cold episode War. Episode 9 of the Time War. Yeah, so we'll see whether we find out anything else there. <laughs> and yeah the next episode of lower decks and um, if you want to get in touch with us in the meantime you can find us on facebook search for retrek uh, we're also on twitter at retrek pod email us retrekpod at gmail.com uh, there's also been a couple of announcements on the facebook group we are going to be part of dr squeeze squee fest where he's going to be doing a 24-hour video podcasting this time so rather him than me with that that's going to take a bit doing uh, but we will be appearing between 10 and 11 on the Saturday night, which is the 19th of September. That's UK time. And also, he's managed to get an interview with Alexander Siddig, who obviously we know as Dr. Bashir. So that one will be worth watching as well. Yeah, I'm uh, quite looking forward to that. And if we found out yet if we're allowed to have a drink, we might be able to do a drunken episode on the 19th. Ah, that's the point, yeah. yeah we'll have to... Have to by think. that time of night. Yeah, we could have a think about that. I think Squee will have had a few by then, anyway. Yeah. But yeah, we'll see. Um, so, thanks for trekking with us this time, and we will see you next time on the Retrek. Thank you, bye-bye.